Welcome to episode 25 of Get to Work Hurley, your podcast for pro writers, fans, and geeks of all sorts. Joining us on this episode is Hiron Ennis, author of Leech, and now your host, Cameron Hurley. It's me. Uh, thank you so much, Hiron, for being here with us. Um, I, I've said this a million times to everyone I know, but like I literally read the arc of your book. L literally, it feels like five years ago, but I know it was only maybe ten a year ago, 14, my God only knows. But I could not stop thinking about it. I could not stop thinking about the book. I pre-ordered it the minute it was available to pre-order because I had to own it. Um, it just absolutely captivated me. And I was just, this was one of those ones where um, I read it and I went, how did they find this person? Where did they come from? Uh, because I was like that blown away. I thought it was just, it was mwah, perfection. So I'm super excited to um, have you on the show. And I know that we did crowdsource some questions with myself because I'm super interested. Um, but um, I think, yeah, I think that's that's it for my fan squee. I had to open with a fan squee. So oh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> for Thank you so much. I, I'm very glad you liked it. And thank you for having me on. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So I think, um, yeah, my first question was, uh, there are a lot, this, this was like, I think I called it a parasitic gothic body horror. Like that was like the best way to communicate like, that I could find to communicate what it was. Um, and I was wondering, like, did you have any gothic influences for this work or um, did you just kind of back into that sort of, you know, accidentally? Yeah, I feel like in my case, gothic, the gothic has sort of been in my life since I was a child. Um, I used to carry around this like big tome of Edgar Allan Poe when I was like 10 or 11 and memorized a bunch of his poems. And, and um, you know, I really liked Mary Shelley. And I think that kind of gothic sensibilities have been a part of my life for a really long time. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly when they began. I did go to Christian school, so I was sort of, uh, I guess it was sort of a, an attraction to the subversion of, of the kind of stuff that I was forced to learn, like, you know, biblical stuff and go to chapel every day. And it was nice to, uh, to delve into the sort of darker side of that tradition for me. And to be fair, you know, Bible stories are pretty dark too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure that, that was probably also a bit of an influence. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then, so I'm of course really super passionate about world building. Um, and so I was interested because I love the way that you, um, you layered in this world building this book like you kind of oh like it opens and it's this very soft entry into what is a very wild and world right um and i i love the way they do it i'm wondering about you know how how intentional that was uh in the creation of that world where it's like okay i'm going to ease you into it and the things will get weirder and weirder and weirder um and how much you just kind of came came at that like organically like what was that process like yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because originally I wrote the first probably five to 6,000 words for a novel writing course that I was just taking for fun. Um, and so the very beginning was a little bit more literary in, you know, in intention. 
because this was not a genre uh, novel writing course. This was just, they would accept like historical, like, you know, the divorcee lit and things like that. And so I, I tried to write something that was a bit subtle uh, and they ended up liking it and I got into the course, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of how Leech was born. But I think that it, honestly, that the buildup of, of the weirdness of the world might have been a consequence of my attempt to tone things down <laughs> at the beginning, instead of just starting off with things, just, you know, going from batshit to bat shittier instead of from somewhat quietly unnerving and then getting to batch it by the end mm. how long did it take you to write this one how long did you work uh, on it probably about a year okay. and a half and then at the end of that the submission process for finding an editor etc took another couple of years and I think it's been I think it was born probably like five years ago um and then it finally or I guess it was conceived five years ago and it was born <laughs> in September. Isn't that wild? Um, yeah. I know when I got it, yeah, realizing how far off it was before I could actually be like, pre-order it now was like really hard. That yeah. process, especially tour, I think that's just such a long process, but um, beautiful book. They did a beautiful job, like cover and all of that. So Yeah, I, I am really grateful for all of the things that they've done for me because I cannot navigate the world of publishing i just have no idea what's going on ever so. <laughs> what what um i know this is we didn't prep you with this but what what like um drew you to writing like have you always been writing have you did you write short stories because it sounds like this was kind of your first like i'm gonna write a novel that sort of start, started shorter yeah I have always been writing I think the first thing I ever wrote was like with the text option on kid pics in like 1994 or something like before I could even write I drew pictures of like Yoshi from Mario and then I wanted a story to go along with it so I wrote a story about Yoshi and then from there it was it just got worse when um my grandfather uh his business was going from, you know, manual to digital and they got rid of all their typewriters and I got to take a typewriter home. And from then on, it was just fantasy and sci-fi and short stories and a thousand beginnings of terrible novels that like an eight or nine year old might write. And every day I was pretty much just in my room clicking away on that thing. I loved it so much. And then things got even worse when I ended up having to get a laptop for school. So <laughs> and it was like, ah, the, the gates are open. The floodgates yeah. are open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I'll ask one from actually the Discord channel and then I'll turn it over to you, Tim, to ask last two. But um, so did you, uh, this is uh, yeah, a question from one of the uh, Discord folks, but did you link like the body horror trauma of para parasitism and like um, assault and abuse from the beginning or sort of later in the process, was that something that sort of happened organically, like this, the themes, right? Um, which I thought you handled incredibly well. I was incredibly impressed with how you did it. So just wondering how that thought process was. Yeah, I, it pretty much evolved organically. Mm. I set out originally to explore the relationship that 
a hive mind parasite aspiring to mutualism might have with the bodies that it occupies. And then as I continued to write and I got to know the other characters a lot more and started to understand the ways in which that they were also, you know, parasites, then it sort of, it sort of came up and demanded to be addressed. And I'm glad it seemed to to turn out well, because it's, you know, kind of a hard subject to delve into, but it just, it evolved organically from the premise of bodily autonomy, sort of as a natural consequence of having characters who are human, <laughs> as well as those who are not human. And it sort of demanded to explore the ways in which people, not just parasites, you know, use and take advantage of each other. Have you read Gorbengast by any chance? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. I'll <laughs> mention be like, so surely they've read this book. Like, I've yes. never talking no, about it. Okay, I read it so long ago <laughs> okay. that like I can barely remember what happens in mm-hmm. Gorbengast. But that book is like living inside my soul. Just yeah. it, it is that it has parasitized me and I'm so happy for it. Like I want to <laughs> read it. Um, but no, it's just Oh, I love Gorman Gas so much. Yeah, just that that it's that vibe. I felt like I was like that that cr- the family the, the you know infighting family and the crumbling around it and it's its own little world and yeah. So definitely, I felt that evocativeness from uh, work as well. It's the best so. compliment I've ever oh. received. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, you got the last couple. Sure, uh, Miles asked for a book like Leech, what was your main focus on the earlier drafts, maintaining the Gothic atmosphere and working the story afterwards or making sure the story fit together first and then adding the atmosphere in? I think it was mostly an atmosphere driven book. Um, Earlier drafts actually had sort of a division of character like back when it was a little bit more of like maybe just an unsettling literary book instead of an overt horror kind of story I divided it up into like almost like case studies on each of the institute's patients like the Baron had like the first chunk of the book and then DJ had another chunk of the book and then Ellen had another chunk of the book and the format of the story evolved a lot while I was writing it, but I think the atmosphere really didn't change. So it primarily it was kind of an atmospherically driven narrative. Did you do multiple drafts in terms of like starting over or was it just a matter of like going through and fine tuning and, and um making adjustments after you read through it the first or second times yeah i'm kind of a fine tuner and that really sucks because i perseverate over little things for days and days and days and i will torture myself over a single sentence for like a month and (laughs) it's not very productive and it's probably not very healthy but i would i'm the kind of person who makes like really detailed outlines like i'll have an outline and a plan that's like 50,000 words long, like on a separate document. And then when I write the actual book, I'll follow that plan for maybe two chapters and then decide I don't like it. 
rewrite the first two chapters, rewrite the entire plan, write another two chapters, decide I don't like these two chapters, go back, rewrite all four chapters, rewrite the entire plan, and then just do this like two chapters at a time, just like slowly morphing and building this story that just it it the first draft is often actually like 60 drafts for me <laughs> and I don't know if that's how anyone else does it but man it uh it changes a lot over the the course of just writing the first draft I think and then I don't know if it makes it easier on me when second and third drafts come in because when I actually got an editor and an agent who requested some changes, it was relatively easy to go back and implement those changes. Because I think that after all of the torture, I was finally satisfied with the structure of the novel. But I don't know if I should change my strategy. <laughs> I've been trying to it. change, yeah, mine for 10 years now. <laughs> I'm still rewriting that book from scratch two or three times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> Um, and then the one question I had was, did you curate a a playlist of music to write to or to inspire you um, for when you were writing? And if so, what sort of artists or music was on there? Yeah, okay. I am a, I'm someone who requires music just all the time, no matter what, writing especially. I had a creepy spooky playlist for this book uh that was mostly like experimental uh or classical music so I ended up listening to a lot of Arvo Pert who is one of my favorite composers and he he's special to me because he is so he's like a pre-minimalist and he has these absolutely beautiful choral works that are also sort of deeply unsettling and he is perfect at marrying simplicity, complexity, beauty, and this kind of nagging emptiness. I don't know. I just, highly recommend that everyone on earth go listen to Arvo Pert. And he, yeah, he's this Estonian guy who is just so, so, so good. Is there anything that people would be surprised that you had in that playlist, like the Monster Mash or something like that? Oh, God. I think... <laughs> Let me think. No Monster Mash. I did have a couple of Zelda songs in there, though. A oh. couple of ambient Zelda songs. Nice. Yeah. Cameron, do you have any other questions? No, that's that. I think that's good. Well, I should mention to everyone that you have a website which uh, we will put in the show notes. And uh, the book is it's just your name. And then the book uh, is you mentioned is out through Tor. And it was out. On, com, yeah. Yes. Out in September. Um, are you working on stuff now? We'll, we'll usually get to this point and ask what Cameron's working on, but I'll start with you. Um, working on another book, short stories. Uh, yeah, I'm I am contractually obligated to write another book so <laughs> i <laughs> am working on that right now um it's very different from leech it is i think probably equally or more surrealist 
but it's a lot more urban. It's a lot more lush. It has, frankly, more likable characters that are a little bit easier to work with. <laughs> and it's about opera and drugs and revenge. And it's going to be probably batshit from the start. So we'll see how my editor likes that. <laughs> Old! <laughs> <laughs> great. Cameron, what about you? What are you working on? Oh, everybody knows that I'm working on the book that will not be named. No, uh, we are actually, I don't know if I said on the podcast, we are back in the publication schedule. Uh, I had my book taken out of the publication schedule for a while because it wasn't getting done. Mm -hmm. Um, But I sent the first half of my agent. She has pronounced it very good uh, and is confident about putting it back in the publication schedule. So um, I will be turning it in May 1st of next year, which is super exciting. Uh, I'm actually writing every day, which is great. That is a great change for me. So, um, but no, I'm still, it's still, I think we're still going to call it losing gravity, but that is my main project right now. I also have, of course, um, you know, several of the back backlogs of projects. That is a nice thing about taking a while to write one book is you get to think a lot about all these other books. I mean, I was like out of idea, literally I pitched this one. It's killing EBS I heard in space. And I didn't even know anything else. I'm like, I have no, I got nothing. So that was like it. That was my brain had nothing else after it. And now I've got like five or six projects deep, which is great. Um, so I'm looking forward to not working on this book as of May 1st, <laughs> working on something else. Um, but for now, yeah, I'm uh, just keeping on, keeping on to finishing up that last half of the book. So have either of you ever written during uh, this coming up November? It's it's National oh. Novel Writing Writing Month. Um, I've never do it, done it, but I'm going to do it this year. Um, have either of you ever participated and actually gotten something written during that period? I did it once back when I had like a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I think I might have been 11 or 12, but. Or maybe like, how old is NaNoWriMo? It's, it's been around a while, I think. Yeah. 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 I haven't really attempted that in many years, but (laughs) we'll see. We'll see about this month. Yeah. I tend to find it to be, it's a, it's a fun motivation, but it's like, I usually am done within a week where I'm like, well, that was fun. And now I'm back to my usual writing 200 words a day. So (laughs) So that's where I'm at. It's like the same, the same relationship people have with Inktober. Mm, They do too. And then they're like, okay, that was great. That was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about what sort of media you all have been consuming. Books, TV shows, movies, music, whatever. What's been on your radar that you've been enjoying recently? Cameron, I'll start with you this time. Well, um, since I think we're going to try and have this out on Halloween, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, Cabinet of Curiosities is wonderful. It's a delight on Netflix. It is like, um, it's like Del Toro doing uh, Outer Limits or Twilight Zone or, you know, again, it's those nice, fun, episodic um, you know, little short shots of horror. And I found that just absolutely delightful. Um, also I finished, I actually finished re- watching reboot, which, uh, stars Ke- Keegan-Michael Key. It was actually very charming. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about a, 
uh, show that was like in the '90s, and they're re- they're again a, a fictional show, and they're rebooting it, but with the original cast. Of course, the original cast is all screwed up from being on the show, and then the showrunners have their own issues that they're working through, and everybody works through all their issues in the in the show. So um, that one has been really fun. Um, and yeah, I think I, I think the last book I read was probably another entry in the Thursday Murder Club, which I think was. The Man Who Died Twice, which was also delightful. That was a delightful little murder cozy. So that sounds like a Bill Murray movie from the eighties, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was part because it's old people solve crimes if in old folks home. So oh, okay, oh perfect. cool. No, that is yeah. It's a perfect, uh, perfect title. So, what about you, Hiran? I have been reading this very delightful and beautifully written novel called Radiance by oh. Catherine Valente. Oh yeah. Um. It is also published by Tor, I think, but it's kind of like a, a oh, geez, okay, <laughs> sorry. It's um kind of an alt history, like 20s deco punk pulp sci-fi mystery about silent film. And it is, I don't know if either of you have ever read Catherine Valente before, but she has such a ridiculously beautiful lyrical way of writing things. And this is kind of like a deconstructed novel, like nothing is linear. Um, Half of it is written as movie scripts. And I don't, it's just very, 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 very interesting. Um, It's just about this uh, young woman who is a movie director who disappears and her father is essentially trying to rewrite her story as he would write a film script. And he's going through like all these different genres, like the first chapter is noir, and then they sort of move on to like gothic. And and it's, I, I don't know, it's just like constructed so well and so in such a novel and interesting way. And I really, really, really love it. I'm not done yet, though, so we'll see if the ending ruins everything. I, I doubt <laughs> gotta it. Stick that landing. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to stick the landing. Yeah, usually with Valente, though, I mean, you're reading it for a lot of the lushness, too. It's just like, yeah. oh, look what she did with that language. So, yeah, or not a, the ending sticks. I mean, it was a beautiful ride. So, right. So, it, yeah. it really is about the journey with her. And, like, I do so enjoy the journey. She's, like, one of those authors where, like, I try to read her stuff slowly mm-hmm. because i don't want to get to the end yeah any other books by her that previous is that a new one or is that an older book i can't because I, I i've heard that name before but i can't remember where yeah um she's written space opera i read her back that's in it. the day yeah i think you probably heard of space opera i read her back in the day where i think it was labyrinth where i think it's called mm-hmm. the labyrinth or something so um yeah she has quite a few yeah, I actually ran into her because I was reading um, Sophia Samatar's The Stranger in Alondria, yep. which is blooming. One of those ones where I just didn't, I had to stop myself from reading it too fast because I had to absorb everything. And I'm kind of obsessed with Sophia Samatar right now. So I went on her website and I'm like, what has she been reading? And it was like the kind of you know, suggestions that you would expect, like Italo Calvino and like Borges and then Catherine Valente. And I will read anything she tells me to read. (laughs) 
Excellent. Well, let's do some plugs. Let's plug some things. Website, Hiron Ennis, H-I-R-O-N-E-N-N-E-S.com. That's where you go to find out all things and links to where you can buy the book at Powell's Indie Bound, Thrift Books, and Bookshop. You don't have to go to the jungle. You can go to one of those locations to support authors and booksellers. And uh, Cameron, we can go to CameronHurley.com to check out all the uh, books just recently this year, Future Artifacts uh, released back in May. And it's also where you can go to find the links to Patreon. Every month, a new short story from Cameron, uh, written at the last second, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing publish an hour before midnight on the 31st. Yep. Uh, if you'd like to sign up for the newsletter, head on over to Substack. Hurley's Heroes is where one joins. You can find her on all of the socials out there that are still around uh, and still manageable. And uh, yeah, that's it. So thank you so much for joining us, Iron. This was a lot of fun. I haven't read the book yet because I'm scared, honestly, of oh. the horror. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's so good. It's not really jump scares. I have I to know. read during the day it's when creepy. I read scary books. Yeah. I can't read at night. I need like lights on and I need like sunshine because then I'm reminded that it's not real. If I read at night, it gets into my brain and I get scared. Awesome. That's great. No, I'm jealous. I wish I wish that horror could weasel its way inside my mind that well. My wife asked me if I had seen the ring and I was like, no, I haven't because I don't want to. I am scared. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Cameron, will you take us out? I will. I am about to get back to work and you all should get back to work too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye everybody. Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>